Father, we thank you that your heart is for us. Father, that your heart is for us to succeed and to really prosper in the things of the kingdom of God. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be all that you call us to be. Lord, we have all such potential within us. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to fulfill that potential. Father, to be all that you call us to be. And Lord, we just ask that you would come and meet with us this morning as we open up your word. Father, as we think about what's essential in church life, Lord, we ask that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be open to really receive from you today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So it's essential elements in church life. I'm going to start by reading a verse from the Bible. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to look it up. And we'll read from verse 4 through to verse 12. So it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through to 12. And the title in the New International Version of the Bible, which is what I'm going to read from today, is The Living Stone and the Chosen People. Not Livingston, okay, just to clarify. The Living Stone, Living capital L, Stone capital S. And uh, it's talking about Jesus. And it says this in verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Rejected by men, but precious to him. As we look around our world today, we see many people that have rejected Jesus, but he is precious to God. And I pray that he's precious to you as well. And then it goes on in verse 5 to say, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone, talking about Jesus, is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. Who can remember back to reading through Daniel at the tail end of last year? And Nebuchadnezzar's vision of a statue that starts off gold at the top and works its way down through all the different metals until it becomes a mixture of iron and clay at the feet. And it talks about Nebuchadnezzar's strength. It talks about the kingdoms that would come into the world and have dominance. But also it talks about the times near the end where a stone would come cut out of a mountain uh, sorry, cut out of a rock, and that stone would come, and it would hit the feet of this statue, and the feet would shatter, and the statue would fall. And what Daniel was saying to Nebuchadnezzar was, he was talking about things that were going to happen. And what he envisaged was exactly what this passage is talking about. He, would, he envisaged Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel interpreted it in God's strength. He talked about this rock that makes others fall. And we need to understand that. We kind of think about the, the kind of baby Jesus Christmas story thing, but that's only part of the story. It's a crucial part of the story, but it's only part of the story. 
And the way that people perceive Jesus at his first coming will be different from the way that people perceive him from his second coming. And this is what it goes on to say. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Hard words, aren't they? However, verse 9 says, but you, you, you and I are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And that's what we've been doing this morning, is declaring the praises of this God who has brought us out of a place of darkness and into a place of light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Did you ever feel like an alien? Interesting word, isn't it? Do you ever feel like a stranger in a strange land? Sometimes I do. To abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. It's an ongoing battle. The old nature wants to rise up. The old nature wants to take its place in our lives. And so we are doing battle against that sinful nature, that nature which wars against our soul. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What a wonderful passage of Scripture and so rich in all that it says. I just want to think for a while about this illustration of Jesus being a rock. And I've talked about this before. I've used this illustration before in the life of the church. But when it comes to thinking about those things in our lives which are important, then we need to fit in the most important things first. Okay? Two pictures side by side. If we fill our lives like that jar with sand, the sand of all the mediocre, not so important things, and then we try to fit in the important things, there's no room for them. However, if like those big rocks, the important things in our lives, if we put them into the jar first, then we begin to fill up the jar with the smaller stones, we take up the space with the sand. If you wanted to take the illustration to its fullest extent, you would fill it up with water and that would fill all the gaps totally. But unless you get the rocks in first, then you're never going to fit in the other, unless you get them in first, sorry, the other things uh, in our life will crowd out those things which are important. And so what are the important things for us? I think things like our families. Our families are important. Our relationships, our health, whether it's our spiritual health, our emotional health, our mental health, or our physical health. These things are important. And the same applies in church life too. And the church is likened to a body, a bride, a spiritual house. And I believe that there are some key elements, some essential elements in church life that need to be in place first in our lives. We have a corporate life as a church. We have a corporate identity as a church. When people use the name Whitburn Pentecostal Church, something will come to their mind. They will think of something. Normally in our community, this church is known as the Pentecostal. 
And when people think of the Pentecostal, all sorts of things will come to mind. For some people, it will be that we step out at the fire escape where they sit and do the things that they do on the fire escape, and we have to go and clean up the rubbish afterwards, okay? And I actually heard somebody out there on the phone to his pal saying, I am at the Pentecostal. That's what, that's what the church is known as. So people have an idea of what this church is, just like we have maybe some kind of idea, some kind of inclination about the other churches that are around about us. People have an idea about you, about your family, about your set of values and how you live your life and how people perceive you. And so there are things which I think are important. And I want to just draw our attention to some things. Some of these things I really observed as I went round different churches on my sabbatical. I was praying and asking God to show me uh, the things that I needed to see. And he really did speak to me about a number of things and things that are important in church life. And the first one that I want to draw our attention to is welcome. Do you know it's 29 years since Mary and I pitched up in this church? 29 years. And I remember as a young man then coming into this fellowship and being impacted by the welcome, also being impacted by the worship. And we sang a song that night. It was our first night in church. And I remember we sang a song which I had only ever sung in Japanese before. And it was that song, I Give You All the Honor. Do you know that one? Good, I'm glad you know it because that means I don't need to pick up the guitar and sing it. And I remember we were kind of over in about this sort of side of the church. We'd come in, we'd found a seat and we were worshipping and uh, just kind of had this sense that uh, this was where we were supposed to be. And then we sang that song and it, it was just incredible. I just felt transported to another place. And that sense of welcome, I think, is important in the life of any church. It's important in this church. How do we welcome people who come in for the first time? Or how do we welcome people who come in for the 1,000th time? I don't think it should matter. And it's worth clarifying that the church isn't this building, okay? The church is the people. Do you know, I, was, I think I've maybe mentioned this before. I think it was on Croft Malach's website or somebody's blog. It was one of the primary schools. And what they'd noted on the blog was a visit to the church and how Stevie had been talking about how the church was the people and not the building. I was really encouraged that they had remembered what's really important, that you and I are the church. You and I are God's possession. And so when we welcome people, we're welcoming into the life of the church but you and I are the life of the church. We're not welcoming them to a process. We're not welcoming them to a product. We're welcoming them to a people, a people who are called. How do we welcome people into our houses, into our conversations, into our families, into the prayer meeting that will happen tomorrow at 9.30 in the lounge? How do we welcome people in? Do we practice hospitality? Welcome is so important. I also think worship is a crucial aspect of what we do as a church. You know, we talk about worship as being the songs that we sing. Well, worship is our whole life. I said this last week. Worship is about the conversations that we have in the car park. You know, if we're fighting over a space in the car park, then that's not worship, okay? And that's not preparing us to come in here and sing songs of praise to God. 
Worship is our whole life. Worship is everything about us that declares that God is worthy of praise. He is worthy of everything that is within us. The Bible talks about putting on a, a garment of praise. We sing songs, which is our praise. We use those songs to glorify God, to worship God. And the Bible talks about putting on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Worship is about declaring His worth. It's about being thankful. And it's about giving praise and glory back to God. And for those who are visiting the church, you may have noticed that we're not necessarily a traditional church. But God hasn't called us to be a traditional church. And there are lots of good and great churches which are traditional, more traditional in their forms and styles of worship. But we need to remember that worship is our whole lives, as an expression of our love for God. You know, when I was at, when Mary and I went down to visit uh, Jared Cooper's church in Hull, one of the things that really impacted us was the worship in the church, the way that people engaged in worship. It was just powerful. When we went up to Peterhead, one of the things that impacted us was the welcome. And I said this to, to Daniel, who's the associate pastor up there. I said, Daniel, you know, met him a few weeks later um, at a training event in Aberdeen. I said, Daniel, the whole building welcomed us in. The whole building, everything welcomed us in. The people welcomed us in. The welcome team welcomed us. But also the people in the church came and welcomed us. It was incredible. Welcome, worship, and thirdly, the word. You know, the word is really, really important. How we handle the Bible, what we share in church on a Sunday. But let me say something. You can't live on a Sunday message. You can't live on a Sunday message. I can't imagine me going through the whole week and waiting until Sunday before I ate something. Maybe I should try that. But my body can't be sustained on one meal a week. And if we think about the Word, the Bible talks about Jesus being the bread of life, talks about Him being the Word made flesh. He is the one who comes and feeds us and gives us nourishment. And therefore, we need to understand that the Word is not something that's reserved for a Sunday morning. It's something that we take up day by day by day. And there's a special, you know, this, this particular aspect of our gatherings is very, is very personal to me. Sunday messages are personal to me. And I try to share what I feel God is saying and endeavor in the process to be prophetic because if I'm sharing the words of God, then it's prophetic as opposed to sharing my own thoughts. And there's always a bit of a challenge and a bit of a tension with this because the reality is that we're all at different stages in our walk with God, in our faith. Some people haven't even started a walk with God yet. Some people have been doing that for years. And we're all at different places in the things that we need from God. Even today, we're all at different places in what we need from God. And so how do you share a word on a Sunday that will be helpful to every single person in the room. That's a challenge. And my prayer is that God speaks 
and says things. You know, God might, as you're sitting there, God might say something to you that's totally different from what I'm saying and the words that are coming out of my mouth, you know? And that's okay. We need to just be listening to what God wants to say to us. And really, this part of the service, you know, it is, as I say, a very personal thing to me. And I want to try and be as helpful as I can to this church. And so, midweek, the books are open, the prayers are going up, the Bible's open, trying to really get a grasp of what God wants to say. And you know, this, I hadn't planned to say this, but just as an aside, at the tail end of last year when I was on sabbatical, one of the things that I found so refreshing, this is very personal, is actually just sitting down and reading the Bible and allowing God to speak to me without in turn thinking about, well, how does this apply to a sermon? We were talking about that this week. How does it apply to a sermon? How do I communicate this? You know, for somebody who's up here week after week preaching, that can be a challenge just to take that time and hear what God is saying to me. And uh, I have found it really helpful to have time just to be aside and to do that. I also think that what God wants to say to us isn't always necessarily complicated and deeply theological. I've said this before, but let me say it in a way where I really clarify it. I think honestly that most of what we need to know and live out as Christians, we can see in Jesus and his teaching and the teaching of the apostles. We learn about our thought life, our attitudes, our words, our relationships and families and work in the church, how to bear spiritual fruit in our lives, how to exercise spiritual gifts, how to rest, how to look after our bodies. All of these things are quite simply put for us in the New Testament. If we need to be theologians to live out our Christian faith, then I know from the things that I read how far away I am from being a theologian. I know. And if I needed to be an intellectual and a theologian to live out my Christian faith, then I'm stuffed. Seriously, I can't do it. But the reality is that we don't need to be theologians. We need to take what God has sent to us and we need to be putting it into practice. Sometimes I think the secret of success is doing the simple things well. And I think we have a unique perspective. We have an Old Testament. We have a New Testament. They're translated into our language, which even people uh, 500 years ago didn't have. They had to rely on somebody standing up the front and reciting it in Latin. And you know, if you were here at the Christmas service, you know that I didn't really succeed in Latin. I got a bad report in Latin. But somebody took the time to translate the Bible into English. And he paid a price for that. He paid the price for that with his own life. And we have the very words of God written down for us in a language that we can understand. And we need to begin to read that and devour that and put that into practice. You know, as I was thinking about uh, today, I came across uh, Psalm 131. And Spurgeon says this, he says, it's one of the shortest Psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. The words are simple. It's a Psalm by David 
and about David. And it was a psalm that people would recite. They had memorized it. They would recite it as they approached Jerusalem. There were three times where the people had to gather together. And each time they would gather together for the feast, they would be proclaiming these songs. And this is what Psalm 131 says. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. That's an interesting word that we don't use very much. But what it's saying, what it means is arrogantly superior. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. And Spurgeon begins to talk about this psalm. He said this, and it really struck me, many through wishing to be great have failed to be good. Do you know, it's possible to miss what God is actually saying to us, to miss the simple things that we need to put into practice in our lives. And the Bible talks a lot about the simple things, how we relate to each other, about forgiveness. These are easy things as concepts, but they're hard to put into practice. And we need the Holy Spirit. We need God within us in order to put those things into practice. Why do I say that? I say that because for every time I get up here on the platform, I need to find a place of rest, a place of quiet confidence in God. Rather than striving for great things and great revelations. One of the challenges, can I, can I be really, really honest with you? Can I share my heart with you today? One of the challenges as a preacher is to try and be like the other people and to try and preach like they do. I listen to some preachers and I just think, wow, I wish I could preach like that. Absolutely astounding. Where did they get that from? But there's no point in me trying to copy somebody else. You know, I remember listening to somebody sharing a word, and I could actually hear the person that they were emulating speaking. A famous preacher at the time. And as I listened to this person share, I thought, oh, that's such and such speaking. You could hear somebody else speaking. I thought, I never want to be in that place. I don't want to be an echo I want to just share what God is putting on my heart and our heart for this church. You see, if all I'm doing on a Sunday morning through the Word is trying to impress people and trying to be clever, then I've missed the point. John Ortberg, I, remember, I never forget this. I never forget this. He was speaking at the Global Leadership Summit and he was talking about people's shadow mission. And he shared from his heart, and I, was, I had tears in my, I could not control my emotions as a, because of his honesty. And he talked about his shadow mission. And why did it resonate within me? Because I could hear God speaking into my very soul at the time. And he talked about his shadow mission along these lines, being to look good and to win 
the approval of the people. And as I heard him share this, and as he got emotional when he was sharing it, I get emotional listening to it. Because I wasn't listening to people, I was listening to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, don't be overly concerned with trying to impress people. Because at the end of the day, you know as well as I do, you can't impress everybody. You can't please all the people all the time. Having said all this, I recognize that the apostles taught from the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament scriptures are rich. And we need to become students of the word of God. We need to become miners who delve into the deep in order to find treasure. If you're into Tolkien, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's a whole world of truth in the law and the prophets and the writings. And we need to get weaned off the milk and into the meat of Scripture. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready, uh, not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? God wants us to get into the meat of Scripture. He wants to speak to us. He wants to reveal things to us. And I just wish that I had been one of those guys on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus began to open up the Old Testament and began to explain to them how it all related to him, I have loved the Bible my whole life. I was the wee guy who was always excited about the Bible quiz. But I'll tell you what I've learned through the years. I have learned to love the living Word of God. The Word of God is a person. And I have learned to love the Lord Jesus Christ through my trials through my failures, through the forgiveness that I experienced through Jesus. I've learned to love this person called Jesus. There's nobody like him. He is the Word became flesh, living amongst us. And we cannot and we must not love the Bible more than we love the Lord. Yes, we study the Scriptures we study the Scriptures to be approved, but also in the words, the words of Paul, we study that we might know Him. We need to study, we need to grow, we need to get into the meat of Scripture and our relationship with God, but we need to keep our hearts in check all the time as to our motivation. These three things are important. The welcome, the worship, the Word, but also the witness. What does the passage say that we read? That we are living stones. The life, the very life of God is within us. And as living stones, we have a responsibility to be a witness to the love and grace of God. And we do this through our attitudes, through our actions, through our words, each of us ambassadors for Christ. And people should see Jesus in us. This is what 
it means to be, or it's part of what it means to be Christ-centered. Christ at the center of our lives. His will before ours, ours, His ways before ours, and His work before ours. Our witness is not just about telling people about Jesus, it's about living our lives in a way that honors God. Double standards does not honor God. Living a sinful life Monday through to Saturday and coming to church and being full of praise on a Sunday does not honor God. We need to be consistent in our lives. And I think about the story of a Christian in the workplace who was always talking about sex before marriage. And that person became pregnant before they were married. And in an instant, that person lost their authority to speak along those lines. You see, something had happened to their testimony. It had been damaged because they weren't living what they said. They weren't putting into practice the things which, yes, they believed. They believed that 100%, but they weren't putting into practice. Now, for those who were witnessing to, that's a big, a big drama, right? That's the EastEnders. But for God, when we come to God and we say, I've messed up here. Here's the incredible thing about Christianity. And this is what blows my mind. And this is what the world who don't know Jesus don't get, is that when we come before God and we say, I've messed up, then God forgives us. What does the Bible say? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us, to make us clean from all unrighteousness. And so when we do mess up, we know that there's grace available for us. I need to march on here in the message. We're almost finished. The third, the fifth thing, sorry, that I've got here is our work. The work that God has called us to as a church. The things that we do, and we do all sorts of things over the course of a week, the month, a year. We help people, whether it's in an organized thing like Answer or the food bank, or whether it's responding to a need that maybe you have seen And maybe nobody will ever know the things that you have done to help somebody else. But we need to understand that God hasn't called us just to come and worship, but He's called us to work. He's called us to roll up our sleeves and to do something about His kingdom. Let me read a little bit of this passage again, verse 4. As you come to Him... The living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I took this picture when I was in Shetland. It's a place called Braywick, and it's on the west coast. Shetland's wild west coast, if you want to put it that way. And this is what it says. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And as I looked at this picture and thought about the message today, what I observed is that the stones which are in that little pile are no different from the stones that are round about it. That beach is strewn with stones. And each of those stones 
has been weathered by the wind, the waves, the tide, the continual battering of the sea. And it made me think about the lives, our lives, and the lives of those who are around about us. As a Christian, we're not any different in one sense, in that we're not immune from the troubles of life. This isn't, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, where you can do some things to win immunity from the trials of life. If we please God enough, then maybe life will be easy for me. It doesn't work like that. In fact, the, the Christian life sometimes is a hard life, I think. And the stones which are in that pile, in that sense, are no different in terms of the, the stones round about them. We are no different from the people round about us. We all face struggles. We all face temptations. We all face all sorts of things in our lives. But do you know what's different about the stones in the pile? The stones in the pile have had a creative hand pick them up and put them into place. A creative hand. And that's what's the difference with living stones. The Creator's hand has come along at one point in time and took you, despite all the stuff of life that's happened to you, He's taken you and He has placed you and He has placed you in a body. He's placed you as a living stone in the church for a reason. If there was only one stone there, you wouldn't notice any difference from the other stones, would you? But the fact that there's a, a pile of stones there, something creative has happened there. And I believe that when God puts his hand in us and does something with us, he makes us those living stones as we come together. Now, you may think I have missed some essential elements from the message today. Almost finished. But just to recap, those five things which I observed when I was on sabbatical, the welcome, the worship, the word, the witness, and our work, all rest on a foundation. And that foundation is prayer. And in one sense, and it's been said by somebody else, prayer is the work of the church. Our prayer life as a church really matters. And it's crucial if we want to see his kingdom come. And so all that we do is underpinned by prayer. All that we do is underpinned by relationships, our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. And these things are important. The brothers and sisters in our church family, how we relate to them is important. Even those who are not part of our church family yet, how they relate, how we relate to them and them to us is important. And then the last thing at the bottom of the list is love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. The Bible says, John says in one of his letters, that God is love. God is love. I remember when I was in Japan 
learning how to write that down on a piece of paper using the symbols and the squiggles and all that kind of stuff. And one of the bosses in my department, he was kind of walking past me and I looked at what I was writing and he said, that's not right. I was like, cheeky monkey. <laughs> and I said, actually, it is right. And he's like, but the grammar, I'm like, no, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is love. Never forget that moment. Stuck with me hundreds of years later. And the Bible says that every true disciple will be a person who has been impacted by the love of God and is demonstrating the love of God, is living out the love of God. And so these, I think, are foundational things in the life of our church. These are the big rocks that we need to get in at the start. And if we're serious about building church, if we're serious about getting involved in the kingdom of God, if we're serious about getting our sleeves rolled up. Why do I have a shirt with three buttons on today? If we're serious about this, getting our sleeves rolled up and getting working, and Dion shared that at the start of the year, and the spade was sitting there, if we're serious about this, then God will take us at our word, and he'll say, okay, come on, let's see if you really mean what you say. And if your sleeves are rolled up, and we mean business, then God will come and he will do business with us. But we need to be serious about what we're actually getting ourselves committed into. When we say to God, here I am, send me, you better be ready to go. Because if you're not ready to go, God will know. And I think if this church is full of people who say, here am I, send me, then God will start to do the things that God wants to do. You see, we need to be prepared for what God wants to do. And there's so much more that I could say, but I'm going to just draw things to a close. Are you prepared to get involved in some of these activities which are foundational for our church? Can I just say, before I finish, can I just say thank you to everyone who's involved in all these things, the things that go on in the life of this church, many of which are unseen and can I just say that they are appreciated? They are appreciated. But we're not working for a senior pastor. We're not working for a senior leadership team. We're working for Jesus because it's his church and he's building it. And he's the one who said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Despite what's happening in our society, despite the pressures that we feel, he is building his church and he is looking for people to get involved in building. You might think, oh, I don't have anything to give. Look at that picture on the screen. doesn't matter if your gifts are big or if they're small. If we give ourselves to God, then he can use us and build us into this thing, this building made of living stones, not with human hands, but it's God's work. Let's just bow our heads in prayer as the musicians come back up uh, to lead us in our final song.
Father, just as we still our souls today, Father, we recognize that there are things which are in your heart which are important. Father, things on your heart for individuals in this church today. Father, you've already said to some people today not to be taken in, not to think they're a failure. Father, you have said to some people today that you believe in them and that you want to uh, involve them in the building of your church. And Father, we pray today, we pray today that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in this fellowship. Father, we pray that each of us would find our place as living stones in this house that you're building. Father, not a building made with bricks and mortar, but Father, a church, a body of people being built together in order that we might hear your voice, discern it, and follow and obey the things which you're saying, to do the works which you have called us to do. And Father, your word says that you have ordained things before the very foundation of the earth, works that we should walk in. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to find our place today. And Father, may our heart's response today be to say, here am I, send me. And just as people are in an attitude of prayer, as their heads are bowed, as their eyes are closed, maybe today you're in church and you say, I've never made that decision to become a Christian. I've never made that commitment to God, but I want to be one of these living stones. I want to be part of something that will last forever in this world and in the world to come. If you've never made that decision, then I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to pray this prayer with me, just in the, the quietness of your own heart. Pray it into yourself, but you're praying it to God. And if you pray this prayer, and you truly, truly mean it from the depths of your heart, then God is hearing that prayer, and He is going to come and meet with you today. And if you do that, come and speak to us at the end. Come and speak to me at the end, and I'm happy to chat with you and pray with you. So just as we, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, let's, let's just pray this prayer into our own hearts. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the friends and family who've brought me into your presence today. I recognize that I have got things wrong in my life. And I pray that you would come and forgive me, that you would cleanse me, and that you would set me free to be one of your children in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have prayed that prayer today, come and speak to me at the end, and I want to chat with you further. Can I encourage us folks to really get involved in the things that God is doing in this place and that we give our all to him, that we give him 100%, that we get behind the things that he's trying to say and do. Let's stand as we sing our closing song as we take up our offering. Again, it's part of our worship to him, so let's, let's stand and sing.